Hi everyone, Happy New Year, Gadget Lab 2021, what up, welcome, I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired, I am joined remotely as always in the new year by my co-host, Wired senior writer Lauren Good, Happy New Year Lauren. Happy New Year Mike, and our producer Boone Ashworth just told us that this is our 40th remote episode since we started working from home during the pandemic, I mean I'm sure we've taped remote episodes before, but... I guess that means it's almost been a year at this point. 40 weeks of uh, delivery truck noises and cats meowing and toilets flushing and doors slamming in the background. So thank you for bearing with us. <laughs> yes. Thank you for being forgiving of our less than ideal audio. Wait, your cat can flush toilets? Uh, I trained her. <laughs> yes. I trained her to do that. It's right. way better than scooping. Um, that voice that you just heard, the voice of God, is, of course, Wired's politics writer, Galad Edelman, who's coming to us from Washington, D.C. Hello, Galad. Hey, guys. We doing New Year's resolutions? Maybe later in the show. Save that for, for Restore democracy. That's the resolution. Actually, that's true. So normally this time of year, uh, the beginning of January, we would be dedicating an entire episode of this show to CES, the giant consumer electronics show that's happening next week. Uh, but of course, given the events happening in D.C. this week, we feel that we really need to address the news. So we'll be talking about CES in the second half of the show. But we're going to spend the first part of this episode talking about the events of January 6, 2021, the day an armed mob of Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol and tried to stop Congress from verifying the results of the 2020 presidential election. We're taping the show on Thursday, so from where we sit right now, the Capitol was stormed 24 hours ago, and since then we've seen a lot of developments, not only in government or procedure, but also on the big internet platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, etc. That's where we're going to concentrate today. The show is called Gadget Lab, so we're going to zoom into our phone screens and go deep. Glad. we have you on the show because you've been following this issue closely, you just published a story about it, so let's start with this. Once all the action in D.C. started yesterday, on the 6th, how did the platforms first react? So the, the moment when the social media platforms really inserted themselves into the unfolding story yesterday came kind of ironically after Trump sort of did the thing that everybody was asking him to do. So as the violence and chaos unfolded, there was a lot of, where is Donald Trump? Why isn't he calling these people off? No one was really surprised that he wasn't calling them off. He had just whipped them into a lather and sent them to the Capitol, essentially. But, but still, you had Joe Biden, the president-elect, go on TV and say, among other things, Trump, you got you to gotta call this off. And so not long after that, uh, Trump released a minute-long video in which he told people to go home and we need to have peace. But... In that minute video, maybe 40 seconds of it were him repeating how the election had been stolen and no one had ever seen something so horrible. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but... And, and so it didn't really go over that well among the crowd who had been calling on him to, to say something. Because despite telling his... Even as he was saying, go home, he was repeating the same theory that, that underlay all the chaos in the first place. And so not long after that, I confess, I don't remember the precise sequence, but it didn't take long for Facebook and YouTube to pull that video down 
and for Twitter at first to to basically freeze it so you couldn't retweet, reply to, or like it, and then eventually Twitter took it down as well. Right, and in that in that period of time, um, when Twitter froze it, you could still quote tweet it, right? You could still quote tweet it. You could still view it. So if you went to Trump's Twitter feed, you could view it, and it had like 12 million views. But this was sort of a bridge moment in Twitter's evolving stance toward content that it deems violates its rules but comes from public figures. Twitter has been really loath to take stuff actually down because it makes the argument that there is news value in knowing what a world figure or a political national figure like Trump has said. And so what they've tried to do are things to slow the virality while allowing people to see it. And so we were, there was sort of a way station of that, but quickly they ratcheted up to, no, we're pulling this down. So what rationale did they give for taking the video down? So at first it was a little bit unclear. We were just told that the videos violated policies. Uh, and then Facebook said that the video, they, they, they had judged that it was more likely to encourage further violence than tamp it down. So basically, they looked at this video in which Trump says, go home, be peaceful, but also says we were robbed, the election was stolen, and, and decided that on balance, it was likely to provoke more violence. Now, now, personally, as this was unfolding, and I'm kind of watching it happen in real time, I thought that was kind of weird. Because if you watch the video as I did, and if you read, it's, it, I've got the whole text of it in my story that's up on Wired now, if people want to read it. Um, the election was stolen stuff. Trump, that's not new, right? Trump supporters already buy into that. Um, but he did tell them several times in that little video, go home. And so it, it seemed a little bit like a stretch to me to, to treat that as inciting violence insofar as the, the bad part was the stuff that Trump has always been doing. And so it kind of raised the question, well, wait a minute, if you're going to ban Trump from saying the election was stolen in this video, don't you have to ban all the other times when he says it? And then that's exactly what happened. So the, kind of, the die was kind of cast there because shortly after they pull the video down, they start pulling other stuff down. Trump was tweeting things that were kind of in the same spirit as the video where it was like, hey, you know, be peaceful, don't be violent. The election was stolen from us. And so pretty quickly, Twitter and Facebook start taking those posts down. And then you start wondering, well, I mean, we kind of know what all his future ones are going to be. And then lo and behold, they just decided to freeze his ability uh, to post. And one of the things that Mark Zuckerberg said in his, his own post on Facebook this morning that I think caused some confusion was that he was suspending Trump's account indefinitely, but also it would be for two weeks, which seemed to put a clear end date on how long Trump's account would be frozen for and also coincides with the end of the Trump presidency. Now, my thinking was, okay, so then after that point, if this transition does actually happen as it's supposed to, Trump becomes a private citizen. And at that point, the rules in which he's engaging on social platforms change. But also, why would Zuckerberg just say it's just two weeks? What's, what's the thinking behind that? So as I read the announcement, it's at least until inauguration. Mm -hmm. So as I read the blog post from Mark Zuckerberg, it's at least two weeks. So the account has been 
blocked indefinitely. And then at the very end, it says for at least the next two weeks until the peaceful transition of power is complete. So it seems like they're not really committing themselves to any particular course of action after Joe Biden assumes the presidency, but at least until then, um, his accounts on uh, Facebook and Instagram are going to be frozen. Um, Meanwhile, as we're recording this, uh, Trump's Twitter account has been frozen uh, until he deletes the offending tweets, and then there's a 12-hour freeze period. I've seen reports that he apparently has deleted those tweets already, not totally clear, and at the same time, I really would not be surprised if by the time people are listening to this, Twitter has decided, you know what, we're just going to freeze his account like Facebook. So it's a really fast-moving situation here. So, Galad, one of the things in your story that you mentioned is that, um, you know, this this video went out over social media and at home we were all watching it and commenting on it and saying, oh, you know, there he is talking on on Twitter. Uh, But the fact that he's appealing to the crowd of people at the Capitol to go home is a little weird because it's very unlikely that the people who are actually at the Capitol are stopping the mayhem to watch a minute long video of Trump speaking on the internet. Yeah. I think this goes to a a broader issue with how we, how people think about what the platform's responsibility is when it comes to this kind of speech. It's like, so we, yeah, as you say, we don't really know, you know, I'm I'm skeptical that the guy with the horns and the body paint and the fur coat was, was pausing to watch the video. On the other hand, you know, maybe people in the crowd watched and, maybe word got out about what Trump said. We really don't know, but there is this kind of tendency to imbue what Trump says on social media with a lot of power, perhaps sometimes out of proportion to its actual impact. I mean, what happened yesterday was Trump in person tells the crowd, you know, we're going to march over to the Capitol. That's really powerful. And that does not, that is not something that Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube have any power over. And so one thing I think that has characterized Trump's whole presidency is a desire among people who don't like what he's doing for the platforms to just kind of do something about it. And so we're kind of seeing that here. It's it's less that Trump really did anything different from what he usually does. It's more that things in the world got so crazy that the calculus of letting him keep doing that started to shift. Glad we're talking a lot about these real-time reactions on social media platforms to what's been going on in the Capitol over the past 24 hours. But I'm wondering what the role of the social media platforms really was leading up to this event. I mean, how could officials, both government officials and law enforcement agencies, not have been somewhat aware that this kind of, you know, attempt at a coup might have happened or that these threats would escalate into violence when Donald Trump himself has been tweeting about January 6th for weeks. And we know that there's been activity, you know, in the far reaches of the Internet where people have been discussing plans for this kind of thing. That's the really interesting part. I mean, to the extent that social media platforms had power to control yesterday's events, I think the ship really sailed before yesterday. As you say, Trump was tweeting, encouraging people to come to the rally. In one tweet, he said, it's going to be wild. I mean, that's that's (laughs) wink, wink. But it's like, Wink, it's like blink. It's like winking with both eyes. It's pretty hard to miss. Right. Um, But but at the same time, you know, it's it's tricky for these platforms that have been celebrated for their ability to help people organize 
protests or whatever to, to shut that down. I mean, people are allowed to protest as, you know, even, even when they're really wrong, as people who think the election was rigged in this case are really wrong. So the closer you got to the actual violence, the less there was left for platforms for anybody to do to, to stop it, but also the, the like more urgent the case seemed to become to do something about it. Um, you know, as to your question of how the, the Capitol Hill police could have been so caught so off guard here, I don't know. That's what everybody in D.C. is wondering. Um, you know, if you as you watch the videos of people storming the Capitol in the first place, they're it's it's so it's so striking to compare the police presence that greeted them with some of the police presences that greeted Black Lives Matter protesters over the summer, including here in D.C. There, you know, where was the wall of imposing armed uh, cops or National Guardsmen? You know, I, I don't know, and I think people are expecting answers to that. I will say that you know there are a lot of protests in Washington D.C. and they don't go like this. There have been a lot of Trump pro-Trump protests in Washington, D.C., and they haven't gone like this. So, you know, everyone says, how do they not see this coming? I mean, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I didn't think that people were literally going to break into the Capitol. So I, I have a little bit of sympathy for, for these people because what happened yesterday was in some ways very unprecedented. We should also note that as we're taping this, um, it's just crossed the wires that Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, says that the 25th Amendment should be invoked to remove President Trump from office. And if it isn't, Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeachment. So this is definitely a developing story. Absolutely. And we do have to we do have to move on and talk about CES. But uh, I encourage everybody to go to Wired and read Galad's story about how uh, the events of this week played out on social media. And I'm sure there'll be more stories to come. Uh, as more bans are handed down or not handed down and as things change. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get into CES. All right, welcome back. The role of social platforms in our democracy and questions around content moderation are certainly the most important conversation in consumer tech right now. But... We cannot forget there is also CES happening next week. The Consumer Tech Fest is going to be even weirder than it usually is, and that's really saying something, <laughs> because normally at this time, we would be packing our bags and flying to Las Vegas, where CES takes place every year, going back to the 1980s. But this year, CES will be all virtual, due, of course, to the pandemic. This means we will not be gathering together to touch and play with all the shiny new gadgets. We will not be eating from terrible buffets. We will not be having our annual team karaoke night, but the show must go on. The event kicks off with live streamed events on Monday, January 11th, and we are still going to try to do our best to analyze the show from afar. So for a bit of fun, we thought we would actually turn the tables for this segment and toss it to Galad, who has never been to CES before. He is kind of a foil to me and Lauren in a way, since Lauren and I have somewhere around 25 years of collective CES experience <laughs> between us. <laughs> is that right? Jeez. Well, I've covered it. This will be my this will be my 11th. Yeah. Yeah. Same with me. Okay. I think. All right. All right. So, so, yeah. so basically, our CES is old enough to drink. Basically, yes, okay. which is important. It's <laughs> right. very important. Uh, Galad, so hot seat. 
time for you to shine. What <laughs> can we tell the noobs about CES so that it makes sense to them? What do you want to hear about next week? Okay, so I'm picturing normal. Here's how I'm picturing normal CES. This is by far the longest conversation that already I've ever had about it. <laughs> um, so I'm like, you're in a big convention center. You're in a big hotel, you know, and uh, with carpeted floor. And there are table, people are set up at tables and you can like walk around to the tables. And like this one has a virtual reality headset that you can put on. And there's probably a line at that one because it's kind of cool. And then like sort of in less prime real estate, there's some dumb like a better printer that normally gives a crap about and somewhere in the middle. And then like, Oh, they're like, Oh, there's, there's the ones with the sex tech over there. And there's, that's probably sort of titillating. Um, and then there's probably a keynote event where it's the new Android phone or something. And it's got a better camera. Like, am I, is that, do I have it? <laughs> Pretty close. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's three convention centers and six hotels. Uh, it's big it's like nearly three million square feet normally across las vegas so this year instead of doing that you have that that part exactly right where you walk from booth to booth and you see things that are kind of cool with lines and you see things that are not cool at all and they're pretty sad Um, (laughs) but this year instead of doing that it's going to be like people send us an email we click on a link and then we look at a press release and a photo and a video Mm. so how are they trying to so how yeah so what do you think they're gonna do to make that still cool So far, (laughs) I don't know if any early briefings or indications, not all that much. We've had several months now of virtual briefings to figure out how to try to make them cool. And it just seems like people are just, they're just doing the same thing we've been doing, which is here's a Zoom link or, or blue jeans or cisco webex or i don't know i'm like now i'm just like making up conference i could literally make up like a video conferencing company name right now when no one would know the difference well i do all my meetings on water bottle <laughs> water water bottle oh, that's a, that's a great new one i heard that they're they're i'm gonna ipo later this year and 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 then like you know someone has um they in some cases they tell you they're gonna do a live briefing and then you get the the strange sense within the first 30 seconds that you're actually watching a pre-produced video that happened this morning and then you see the product and it looks cool or maybe not cool and shiny and then you hear about the new features and how it's using ai and also like i don't know is anti antimicrobial this year or something because everyone's concerned about germs and then you but you can't actually get to experience it or hear it or touch it or feel it like mike mm. mentioned earlier so um it's a, it definitely is a challenge we're gonna miss out on some of the the fun oddities and novelties of ces this year for sure and the novelties are the interesting thing because like CES is always make-believe, right? When you go to CES, the company shows you its new crazy television that they're actually going to sell, but then they show you like two or three things that they're never going to sell. They're never going to make them. They're just showing them to you because they want something flashy for you to get excited about and write about. But also it's sort of like an illustration of how the company is thinking about the future, right? This is like me in the weekly pitch meetings where I'm like, yeah, I've got like four stories in the works, but I know that I'm not going to write three of them. Yeah. And the stories that you talk about are the ones that you know that someday would be awesome if you were actually able to write. But it w- Yeah. If, if I were actually able to write, that would be awesome. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> or maybe it's not maybe it's not actually a full story that you're pitching. Maybe it's like a little nugget of something that's going to end up in another story someday. Mm-hmm. Like there's an idea there. And and so sometimes we're shown things that feel like components or features, but they're not full products. And like eventually that component might be cool, but it might make its way into different tech things that we use every day. But it's like at the end of the day, it doesn't have a a consumer's not gonna go find it at Best Buy right now. Mm. Yeah. So I feel like uh, the pressure is even higher on you guys to make CES fun for our readers, given that, you know, CES is not bringing as much fun to you. You've really yeah. got to add the add the juice. Yeah, I think, you know, especially considering that, like, that flashy fun aspect of it really only works in a big room where, like, everybody's applauding and people are gasping and you can actually see how giant the giant television, television screen is. Um. So it's really like having it be all virtual and just seeing all these things on your, the same computer screen that you use for, for Zoom or Slack or writing emails. It's like all of that drama is sucked out of it and you're left trying to like fill that drama hole and nine times out of 10, it cannot be done. Like you have to be the most optimistic, wide-eyed tech reporter to get excited about something you just saw in a press release. Is that not Lauren? <laughs> I don't know, Galad, you're looking at me on Zoom right now. Do I appear wide-eyed? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, another thing that we should probably note is just the event in general is is downscaled this year. I mean, last year, there were more than 4,000 exhibitors who showed off tech gadgets. And this year, the Consumer Technology Association, which puts on the CES, said that there are around 1,800 exhibitors. And then some of the big tech companies like Google and Amazon, who would normally spend probably millions of dollars, you know, setting up these giant booths and installations and brand activations, and Google would like take over part of Las Vegas. they're not really participating this year. Uh, sometimes one of the values of CES, at least I hear from tech companies and, and marketers and just people who are you know in the tech industry, the value are like the backroom meetings that people make during the show. And obviously people aren't doing those this year because you can't do backroom meetings in person due to the pandemic. So the whole thing just feels like, a, it feels a little bit scaled down. And then the fact that it's happening against the backdrop of all of these major national events right now, just it really puts CES in a, dis, a different perspective this year. Well, I mean, we've really been taking a crap on the all remote CES, probably want to edit some of that out, but uh, <laughs> tell, tell, surely there's some stuff that we're, we're looking forward to, right? So what are the most anticipated things that are going to be shown off at this year's CES going to be? Well, I mean, CES is a is a B2B show, right? So businesses show up to show off their new things to businesses that are going to be selling them at retail or, or buying them at scale or doing some sort of business with them. So like all of the computer manufacturers are showing you the laptops that are going to be out in September. All the TV manufacturers are showing you the TVs that are going to be coming out in the summer. You know, all of the smart home companies are showing you the things that are going to be available this summer. So like that stuff is still happening. And the the steady march of consumer electronics innovation is still happening, you know. So like just because CES is virtual this year doesn't mean that there's going to be a whole lot of action around people making their own chips and ditching Intel chips, you know, like that, that sort of long calendar event is still going to continue uh, un, uninterrupted, uh, even though CES is virtual. So there's still stuff like that that we'll be able to talk about. We're still going to be able to to see the new laptops, and we're going to be able to see the new robot vacuums. 
Um, That's what I was going to ask about. Can we talk about robot vacuums? Like, yeah. <laughs> those have been around for a while. I hate vacuuming, but I've never, I've also, but I'm also wary of robots. I can actually see a vacuum behind you right now. Okay. The vacuum is <laughs> there. It, it the looks vac- rather large. The vacuum is there. So my mom got me this vacuum. Thank you, mommy. And <laughs> I vacuumed the rug in my bedroom the other day because it was dirty. And then I noticed, you know, the rest of my room is dirty too. I should vacuum this. I don't feel like it. I'll leave the vacuum in my room as a kind of admonishment. Yes. That will, surely it'll make me vacuum tomorrow. This See, was this three, is why you need a robot vacuum. This was three days ago. <laughs> yeah. I have to say two things really changed my vacuuming life in recent years. One is I have tried a, a Roomba before. I had one for a while in my last apartment, and it was really useful, particularly if you have pets, because you can just set them to run throughout the day. And then you're probably getting all kinds of fur and dust and other things that you wouldn't normally get just from manual vacuuming. Um, And the second is I do have a handheld vacuum now, but it's one of those Dyson V7s that's battery powered, um, which is not great for the environment because eventually the battery will lose its juice and perhaps this vacuum won't last as long as something that's that's wired or cabled. But it is so fantastically convenient and so light that I find myself pretty much vacuuming every day with this thing. So it's a cordless battery operated Dyson vacuum and it was totally worth the money. There I feel it. like I feel like the solution is for you and me to be roommates if you vacuum every day. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I just I might just wait until after the attempted coup to move to DC if that's okay. <laughs> There's a apartment open in my building actually for way less than I pay. So I think now I think now's the time. I think it might I think it might actually be I've been saying I want to get back to the East Coast. So um can I just you say one more thing? You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> Wired listeners, Lauren and I are moving in together. Literally, wow. literally, we've we've never met in person. Yeah, we actually haven't. But now we're also. But you now should probably check with your other roommate first. Mm, she'll be fine with it. <laughs> okay, I'm sure. I'm totally sure. <laughs> so, um, she's like probably on a Zoom call right now for her job. Going, God, did you just offer our apartment to someone else? Yeah. Um, so sounds like uh, something she'd say. <laughs> um, so right, we're getting the note from our producer that like we're going way over here but boom there's so much to talk about I did want to make one uh, comment about some of the trends we'll see at CES this year I think Mike made all of the right points about how we won't necessarily see things ship and sometimes we're seeing concepts or we're seeing you know things that go that are being sold you know B2B but um, I'm kind of excited to see the displays this year our colleague Brian Barrett has written about micro LED before, which is um, this like super good looking, but also low power form of, of um, LED backlighting. And we're going to start to see that in more and more TVs. And I think that's going to be pretty cool. And I think on the laptop side of things, we're going to see more laptops running on ARM-based chips. Apple, of course, just announced in uh, November, late October, early November, its its very first um, MacBooks running on its own ARM-based M1 chips, which was huge news in the industry because it means that they're like very slowly moving away from Intel chips and PCs, and that's a really big deal. And I think we're going to see more companies follow suit there, and also AMD chips powering laptops. Um, and AMD Chromebooks, I think, in particular. Mm-hmm. Ryzen, so, Ryzen Chromebooks. Yep. And I and, and like Adrian So and I, who's been on the Gadget Lab a bunch of times before, we love Adrian. Uh, she and I are both really into covering the connected health and fitness space. And there's just been an explosion of that this year because we're all stuck at home and people can't necessarily go to their gyms or go safely to the gym. And so people are starting to invest in more home equipment. And I think we'll see some cool stuff around that this year, too. 
I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to this year. Uh, when the spectacle is not there, it leaves room for other things to shine. So like, you know, the last however many years, 10, 15 years, uh, the big news at CES has always been like the big flashy thing that everybody talks about. Like, did you see the flying car? Because somebody always shows up with a flying car. And while that's cool and interesting, it's make-believe, and it takes a lot of the column inches away from the things that actually matter uh, to you and me. Things like new e-bikes, uh, new fitness wearables. You know, we do cover that stuff, but if you hear anything about CES, you're hearing about the flying car. Well, the flying car isn't going to be there this year, right? Like the quote-unquote proverbial flying cars are all staying home. So it's not there to suck up all the oxygen in the room. And maybe we'll have more time to talk about those smaller, more interesting, more practical things. And that's really what I'm looking forward to. Yes, that is what I'm looking forward to too, because I'm looking forward to bringing those smaller, more practical things, plus my home fitness equipment into Galad's apartment when I move in. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to throw out a lot of stuff. Do you like Peloton, Galad? <laughs> I'm open to it. I'm very open okay, to it. Okay, cool. All right. You all, you're about to get into as it. Long, as <laughs> long as you're paying for it. <laughs> I'll pay for it. Hell yeah. This is verging on SpawnCon, guys. Come on. <laughs> all right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will do our recommendations. All right. Now that we know everything about CES, Gilad, please tell us what is your recommendation for things that our listeners should check out? So this is one that I... I think of because I, I recently I wish I had re, I had followed it. Um, when you find a like a shirt or shoes that really is comfortable and versatile and fits you really well, buy several because sometimes like I've got these great boots that are kind of they're they're waterproof they're they're like good hiking boots but they're good every they're really good everyday shoes they're just very very versatile and they're starting to kind of fall apart. And I went and looked online and they've gotten, for some reason, way more expensive than when I first bought them. So I don't really want to buy them again, you know? And if I knew that now, if I knew that when I bought them, I might have bought two pairs. Same thing, you know, with shirts I've gotten in the past. So if you find that that staple, that wardrobe staple, um, consider stocking up because you can't, you can't uh, assume that they're going to still be making them uh, when, when, you, when you need to re-up. Galad, if you had to name one of those items that we could link to that you really like, what would you what would you say? Well, they're not make the whole issue is that they're not making them anymore. Like, <laughs> oh. I mean, like, also, like you'd be what? giving up your you'd be giving up your wardrobe. Like, people should find their own wardrobe, right? You don't want to dress like Galad. You want to dress oh, like you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Galad. Lauren, what is your recommendation? My recommendation is sliced lemons in Tupperware. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. For those of you who have listened to prior Gadget Lab episodes, you will understand the joke. Uh, my recommendation this week, you're going to need it more now than ever, is the Headspace app. Maybe I've recommended this before, not really sure, but I recently decided to splurge on an annual subscription because if you buy the annual subscription, which is uh, excuse me, $70 a year, it only ends up being about $5.80 per month. You can also try it monthly, but it ends up being $12.99 a month. It is a meditation app. Um, you can choose a, from a few different coaches slash 
teachers. I'm not sure. If they, I think maybe they call them meditation teachers, um, Andy or Eve. And uh, I find it to be really helpful and, and just nice to take, you know, 10 to 12 minutes to yourself each day if you can. And, and you're not totally unplugging because you're using an app on your phone. But if you can sort of block everything else out, it's really great and and freeing for your mind. So I recommend giving that a try. Um, I also, this is my second recommendation, but I also started listening to the Floodlines podcast from the Atlantic over the holiday break, which is hosted by Van R. Newkirk and is about Hurricane Katrina. And it is a fantastic podcast and I highly recommend it. Can I, can I do a second one too? I've, I'm starting to feel bad yes. that I never have an actual thing that people can, can buy because I know our readers are just crassly materialistic. Go um, for it. <laughs> The, I think the most under, one of the most underrated products of our time is the Anchor Soundcore Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> it's. Do you guys have? Do you guys? Are you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, Mike I do. Seems to. It's like it's like twenty thirty dollars, and it, the battery never runs out. It's got like I, I charge this thing. I use it all the time, and I charge it like every three months. It's insane. I don't know how this technology exists. Only, but it's. Isolated somehow only to this one Bluetooth speaker. But if you're a if you don't like having to charge your Bluetooth speaker a lot, I, I highly recommend the Anchor Soundcore. Great product. Thank I'm you, laughing. Anchor. I'm laughing because Anchor, you know, they operate on volume, right? They have the factories and they can crank this stuff out and sell it for super cheap um, on Amazon. That's like their their storefront is basically Amazon. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm oversimplifying it for comedic effect, but. That's how Anchor moves through the world. So that's why I was laughing because it's like, it's the same Bluetooth speaker quality that you get from any other Bluetooth speaker, except it's like half the price. But the battery, dude, are you, ta- are you trying to tell me that other speakers have this battery life? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't, I never <laughs> sat them down side by side and done like run out tests on them. So I can't say. Now you're making me feel bad. Like I'm just talking crap at <laughs> at our listeners because I I'm too un- nope. unwashed and don't know the difference. You know, nope, maybe nope. Anchor's going to hear this and they're going to listen to the whole show and they're going to start making vacuum cleaners for you. Go on. Mm, that'd be tight so, because those yeah, vacuum cleaners would never run out of battery. They would last forever. They do make vacuum cleaners. Oh, there we I go. Believe, I believe the Eufy <laughs> brand. Galad's face. Yeah, Let's go. All of you can't see Galad's face through Zoom, but it's like. <laughs> he anchor. is now the wide-eyed tech reporter. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, so they, they do make vacuum cleaners. The Eufy brand is uh, an Anchor sub-brand. So E-U-F-Y RoboVax or Anchor RoboVax. And they do. They run forever. They run for 851 years before you need to recharge. Uh, but you do have to <laughs> empty the bin within that time. time. Fair, fair. Mike, what's your recommendation? Uh, I'm going to recommend a an alcoholic cocktail. It's called the Black Manhattan. Uh, it is a twist on the regular Manhattan, which you may know as um, rye whiskey, a little bit of vermouth, some bitters shaken and served up, usually with a cherry. The Black Manhattan replaces the vermouth with an Amaro, which Ooh. is a class of Italian bitter aperitif or digestif, I guess, probably more appropriately. Uh, so if you've had something like Averna from Sicily or Fernet, the really fragrant kind of cough syrupy thing that bartenders like to trick you into so drinking. So bad. So bad. <laughs> I love it. I love Fernet. Uh, you can make, if, if you have one of those uh, dark Italian bitters, Amari, 
is the plural. Amaro is the singular. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. You can make a black Manhattan. So all you do is you mix one shot of rye with a half shot of your of your Amaro, and then you add the 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 um, the shaking bitters and uh, you know the orange slice if you like. Shake it up and serve it up. So it's like a Manhattan because it still tastes like whiskey. But it has a little bit of like bitterness to it that gives it a nice refreshing tinge, uh, and it's a beautiful color because it's the same color as Manhattan, but it's darker. So that's my recommendation. Try it out. I had a bottle of Averna that was like half full, and I've had it for years. I'm like, what can I make with this? And I just looked up Averna recipes and saw the Black Manhattan. And I was like, that is my drink, and I had one like every night for the last half of December. So the bottle's gone now and I'm moving on. But I can tell you that my journey through the world of the Black Manhattan was a very pleasant one. Thank you for this recommendation, Mike. Does that mean <laughs> that we should start calling you Michael Calor? What is it, Caloro instead of Calori? No, no. You're singular. Yes, I He's am very singular. singular. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. That is our show. And thank you to Galad for joining us. Thanks for having hey, me, guys. guys. Thanks Always for pleasure. joining us, when, especially when things are so busy and you're filing stories under intense deadlines right now. So thank you. And I encourage everybody to go to Wired.com to read Galad's latest story and any stories that he's going to be writing over the next week, because I'm sure this uh, situation is going to continue to crank out content from the desk of Galad Edelman. Thank you for being here. Uh, and thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes and be sure to check in next week for our CES coverage. We'll be back next week with a CES wrap-up show. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life, or why China's targeting the US dollar, and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.